There's starting here on the bottom of Kufnunam Bet. The Mishnah ends with the principle that Abashol states, which is Klalamar Abashol, Koshani Zakai Bamirato, anything that I'm permitted to say on Shabbat, then I can also move to the edge of the Tchum on Shabbat in order to wait to do that after Shabbat. Gemara wants to understand that Klal, that principle that Abashol establishes, what is it focused on? Abashol Ahai. On which part of the Mishnah is Abashol focused on? Mishnah divides into two halves. You have the ratio of the Mishnah, you have the safe of the Mishnah. So is he commenting on the case in the ratio of the Mishnah? Is he commenting in the case on the safe of the Mishnah? So the Gemara says, If it's talking about the first case in the Mishnah, the first case in the Mishnah is formulated in the negative, which is, So you're not allowed to do that. If that is the case that he's focused on the ratio, Rabbi Shaul states his statement in the positive, which is, anything that I can speak about, I can go to the edge of the Tchum for. On the other hand, the first case in the Mishnah says you're not allowed to go to the edge of the Tchum to go and hire workers. Then his formulation should have also been in the negative. should have said, Anything that I'm not allowed to speak about, It should have said that I'm not allowed to go to the edge of the Tchum. Again, if the first statement in the Mishnah is formulated in the negative, then Abishol's principle should also have been formulated in the negative. Ela Seifagai. So what are you going to say? It's going on the latter half of the Mishnah. The person can, again, go to the edge of the Tchum and wait there in order to go watch his Perot. And if he happens to, once he's gone out there to watch his Perot, bring some back, that that's fine. Hi. Then again, you have a problem. Again, the formulation doesn't make sense. His formulation is whatever I can speak about, I can do. Yet the latter half of the mission is saying what I can do. So the part of the mission that's written is what I can do. So that should be the other way around. Anything I can do, I can speak about. He has the formulation backwards based on the latter statement in the Mishnah. So when I says, no, it's going to the latter half of the Mishnah. Rabbi Shol is actually referencing a case that's not mentioned in the Mishnah, which is, Listen, I can't get over to where my Peirot are. They're in your Tchum. You can't get over to your Peirot. They're in my Tchum. So let us make a deal. You watch my payroll over there. I'll watch your payroll that are in my side. Vigama Rabashul the Tanakama. So now Abashul says the Tanakama. Milo Modit. Don't you agree with me? The Mutar Adam Lo Malachaviro. That a person is allowed to say, Shmorli Perot Shibtumcha. Vani Shmorlacha Perot Shibtumi. Don't you agree? Everybody agrees to this principle of Amrahidom Shmuel. So if that's the case, why don't we say, Vema, Poshani Zakai Bamirato, Rashayani the Hakshikhalav. So that's what he's saying. If I can speak about it, then why can't I also go to the edge of the Tchum and hang out and wait for it? So if here I can tell someone to watch my fruits over in their Tchum, and I can watch their fruits in my Tchum, then why are you narrowing the case down to this one unique case, saying that you can go to the edge of the Chum to go watch your Peirot? Establish a principle. This should be a general statement. What's the general statement? Anything I can speak about, I can go to the edge of Tchum for. So since I can speak about this in Shabbat, and tell my friend to watch my Peirot in his Tchum, I certainly should be able to go to the edge of Tchum in order to do that. But now, we've established the principle, and the Quran wants to know, So what is Rabbi Shaul adding? By adding in and making it a full-fledged principle, what does that mean, other than the case that we mentioned? So to come to include this, that the Rabbanan mentioned. 
person can't go to the edge of Tchum to bring an animal in. You're allowed to go to the edge of Tchum and then call it in and have it come by itself. So obviously you can't go out to wait at the Tchum to bring in your Behemah. Yet, if it's standing right outside the Tchum, you can call it. So if I am allowed to speak or call the Behemah in, then I'm also allowed to go to the edge of the Tchum to wait for the Behemah. Because if I can speak about it, then I can deal with it. I'm allowed to go to the edge of the Tchum in order to deal with things for or things for mate, to bring an Aron or Tachrichim. He said, go to this place. If you don't find it there, come there. If you send someone else to, out to do this, you can tell them, go look in this place first. If you don't get it there, go to the next place. And if you say, if you can't get it for a hundred, go get it for two hundred. He disagrees with that last piece, which is, you can't mention the price. You can't mention everything else. And again, since you can't speak about it, therefore you can go to the edge of the Tchum for it. So Rashi reads it, that the principle that we take out of this Braito is, since I can speak about Iske Kala and Iske Amate, therefore that's what Abba Shol is speaking about, and that's what the Klal came to include. Whereas the case of Behema, that not necessarily that you can include it, because that's only calling it. You can't speak to somebody about it. And Rashi says that the Klau of Abishol is going on the latter half of the Brighta, not on the statement that came before in the Brighta, and therefore only refers to Iske Kalav, and not to the calling in of the Behema. On the other hand, there are other Rishonim who believe that even that case would be included, since the fact that you can call the Behema, that also would permit you to wait at the Tchum to bring the Behema in. Next Mishnah. One is allowed to be on the edge of the Tchum. Go to the edge of the Tchum in order to wait, in order to take care of things that are for or to bring in coffin and shrouds, whatever you need for the mate. A non-Jew who brings in the flutes or reed pipes on Shabbat. They're bringing them in because they're used in the eulogy process and the funeral procession in order to engender certain feelings feelings of sorrow. Lo yispot ben Yisrael. They should not be used in the espate in the eulogy. Elim kein, bomim akom karov. Unless they came from somewhere close by. Meaning that there wasn't any violation of Shabbat to bring them. Asulo aron, vechafrulo karever. They made a coffin or they dug a grave. Ikaver bo Yisrael. Then you're allowed to be buried in it. Vim bishvel Yisrael. If they dug it specifically for him or they made the coffin specifically for him, lo yikaver bo olamit. That he may not use it ever. Two things quickly. One is... In terms of Lois Bodban, that you may not use them for the eulogy. Rashi writes, Lois Bodban, he sells Le Olam. That if he brings these Halilim, you may not use them, period. Rashi says, Because it's obvious that they were brought for him, we don't allow you to use it ever in a eulogy. Tosafot, on the other hand, disagrees and says, Right, so that's what Tosavot says. Tosavot says, it doesn't say Olamit here. Lo keperish akuntres, sheperish Olamit. Zalkei nira, delo yispot ben Yisrael, hainu ad kadesh yavo. You can't use them now until he elapses the time that it would have taken you to do it after Shabbat. But once that time elapses, then you can use the Chalilim. So that's one machloket here in the Mishnah as to when we say you can't use these Chalilim. Does that mean forever? Or does that mean temporarily until the time would elapse that you could have done it yourself? On Shabbat he did it, but after Shabbat are you permitted to use them? And the Gwaj Rashi says, no, never, because he did it specifically for you and he violated Shabbat for you. Whereas Tosafot says, that violation is fine. All you have to do is wait the amount of time that you could have done it yourself after Shabbat. Then you've gained nothing from what the Nahri did and it's fine. The real question is, and this is the question in all these cases, 
is when we see the item, do we automatically assign or look at it as being the Chilul Shabbat connected to that item? If it's obvious that that item was brought through Chilul Shabbat, then we say it's Asur Olamit. You can never use it. Whereas if it's something that is generic, then all you have to do is wait till the elapsed time when you could have done it yourself because nobody's going to know or think that this is connected to Chilul Shabbat. Rashi thinks that the flute is something that is unique in some way and it's gonna, people are going to associate it with Chilul Shabbat. That's what it says. It's a generic item. Any of the Khalilim, and therefore, as long as the elapsed time that it would have taken you to do it goes by, then you can use it yourself. Right? The other thing Tosvar S is, and it comes up in the first part of the Gemara, we'll see in a second, so what that he's inside the Tchum? Why does that solve anything? What happens if there's a Shutar Abim? And he brought it through the Shutar Abim to come. Just because it's inside of the Tchum doesn't guarantee you that he didn't violate any Sudoraita to bring the flutes to you. So Tosvar says it's very possible that he brought it through Rishud Rabim to bring it to you, and there's still a violation of Shabbat. So why is the Mishnah, why in the second the Gemara, so okay with you bring, even if he brings it from Makarov? Doesn't mean there was no violation of Shabbat. So Tosvar says he thinks that Mevim Makarov, Lamahani Kokachavato, says the end that he really didn't aid you. In terms of his violation of Shabbat, really doesn't benefit you, because you could have gotten it yourself after Shabbat just as fast or within a couple of minutes. So that benefit is not really realized in terms of bringing it through the Shutra Abim. We're worried about its violation of Shabbat that really benefits you in terms of that you have something immediately which would have taken you much longer to get afterwards. What does it mean that he brought it from somewhere close by? Rav Amar Makom Karov Mamash, literally, nearby. Shmuel Amar Kaishinan Shema Chutz Lanu. We worry about the fact that maybe they were outside of the city. The basic difference between them is, what's the default status? Small says that we worry about the possibility that they might have come outside of the Tchum, but the default status is that we assume they came from in the Tchum unless you're proven otherwise. The default status is he brought them from nearby, unless you know for sure that they didn't come nearby. And then Rav says the default status is that we think they came outside of Tchum. We need evidence that they brought them from inside the Tchum. So the real focus is, what do we say is the default here? When we don't know or we don't have information about it, what do we assume? Rav says the default is they came from outside the Tchum or through Chilul Shabbat. Shmuel says the default is that they came from within the Tchum. Okay, now there's a mess in the Girsa here. I'll read it what we have here, but almost everybody eliminates. Rashi, Tosafot, and the Gra all eliminate this Girsa. I'll read it, and then we'll explain why there's a problem here. Our mission is a Diyub that supports Shmuel's position. Diktani. Asalo Aron, Vichafarlo Kever. If they made for him an Aron, or they dug for him a grave, he cover Bo Yisrael. A Jew can be buried there. Alma, Misveka Shari. Because of the Safek, we say it's Mutar, Hachanami, Misveka Shari. So it's over here. In that case, they dug a grave, they made a coffin, we have no idea who they made it for. We don't know if they made it for the Israel, right? Or if they made it for the Goy. We have no idea. And there we let it go. We don't ask questions. We don't look into it too deeply. We just assume that they didn't do it particularly for this Jew. So you see that the Misafek in the Mishnah is okay. So that's like Shmuel. The default is that we think it's okay. That's the way the Gemara reads. And then we have Tanya Kavate Derav. The Brayta that supports Rav. And we're going to bring a Brayta. is a Mishnah. It's a Mishnah in Machshirin. And then we're going to bring a Brayta to support Rav. Now the Rishonim reject this Girsa. Because the Mishnah in a second, the Gemara is going to establish that it's not so clear that you can use a Kever or a Aron that was made by the Nachrim for a Jew. The Gemara wants to know why is it that you can use it. So the Gemara is going to answer that it's done in such a location that it was obvious it was for a non-Jew. So then that drops this whole thing. The whole thing goes away. Our whole premise here is that we don't know. And then we say, oh, let the Jew use it. That's not really true. And the end is we do know. 
We do know that it was made for a non-Jew because of the location of where it's made or how it was made. So if it's in a specific location where we know it's not made for a Jew, then we're not talking about Suffolk. There we know for sure. And then why is that a proof to Shmuel? That's why they were showing him drop this whole Girsi here. And they say, actually, it's Tanya Kavate or it's non Kavete de Shmuel. We have a Mishnah or a Brighton now that supports Shmuel. And so they drop the whole first section and they say, next thing that we're going to read is support for Shmuel. You'll see why some think it's a support for Rab, which is here. If Jews and non-Jews living in it, Sure enough, they have a bathhouse that's open on Shabbat. If the majority of the city is non-Jews, you want to go into the bathhouse immediately, right after Shabbat, before your Malafa Malka, you want to run into the bathhouse, no problem, because they're heating up the bathhouse, they're certainly not heating it up for the Jews, they're heating it up for the Nachrim. Imrov Yisrael. If it's a majority of Jews, then you have to wait the amount of time it would take them for heat the water after Shabbat. Because the underlying assumption is that they're heating the water for the Jews, because they are the rove. Then we have this interesting case, the Mechsa Mechsa. Then we have a 50-50. What happens if it's a 50-50 city? So then, he has to wait. He has to wait until they heat up the water. Again, that sounds like Ralph. Here I have a Safek, and what do I say? You have to wait. So in a case of Safek, what do we say the default is? The default is that he did it for the Jews, and I have to wait. That sounds like Rav. Rav says the default is that we assume he did it incorrectly, or he did it for the Jew. But then we have Rabbi Udomer, Bambatik Tana. If we're talking about a small bath, Rashut, then if there is a government official, somebody important in the city, then you can bathe in it immediately. My Rashut. What does that mean, Rashut? It's a case where there's this important individual there who has his servants uh, running in and they heat up the water immediately because basically they can, in an instant, create the hot water. They don't have to wait for water because he has these servants that keep the water going. So in that case, because it's a small bathhouse and even if it was done after Shabbat, it can be done immediately because he's got these 10 servants that will show up and heat the water and everything be done immediately. So even the fact that they did it on Shabbat has no bearing and there's no benefit because they got to done it just as fast after Shabbat. There's no benefit from the Chilu Shabbat, and therefore you can use it. Over here, we have Rabbi Yehuda, who sounds like Shmuel. We assume the Kula, that even though it's possible that they're heating it up for the Jews, we assume, since he has all these servants, and since they could have done it after Shabbat, we assume that there's no problem in terms of heating it up on Shabbat. Since it would take a negligible amount of time to heat it up after Shabbat, we assume that's what they did, or they did it because this important official was coming, not necessarily for the Jews on Shabbat. Shabbat. So since we're Talin Lekula, in a case of Safek, we don't know if they really heated up for the Jews on Shabbat or not. Nevertheless, since we have a Petach Lekula, we go Lekula. And that sounds like Shmuel, which is that the default is we assume everything's okay, unless you can prove to me that there's something wrong. So Rashi and Tosafot say that that Rabbi Huda is a proof to the position of Shmuel. Now, all of those that switch the gears to Tatanya Kavate de Shmuel, what do they do with the Mechsa Mechsa case? Mechsa Mechsa case sounds like Rav. So how can they bring this as a proof to Shmuel when you have the Mexa Mexa case? So Rashi says, Vereisha lo kashule. Case came the Mexa Mexa vaday bishvil Yisrael. Vinachrim huchmu. You're right. Ain't Ochanami 50-50. You know why they're heating it up? They're heating it up for the Jews and the non-Jews. Shari lo adam echad huchmu. You don't make a bathhouse for one person. You make a bathhouse for numerous people to enter it. The name of Sveikul and Achri Sveikul Yisrael. There's no Safek anymore. We know they're doing it for Jews. When it's 50-50... 
We know they're doing it for Jews, equally for the non-Jews, but they're still doing it for the Jews. If they do it for the Jews, you have a problem here. So Rashi says, you think that's Lashon Azikar. So again, they end up dropping, if you look at the notations in the Gemara, between the Aleph and the Bet of the Bra, they drop that entirely. And then they put in that it's a Tanan or Tanya Kavate de Shmuel. And this is a proof to Shmuel. To prove to Shemal because of Rabbi Huda. And Rabbi Huda in that Mishnah Abraita that we quote over here, Rabbi Huda leans the Kula. Even though we have somewhat of a Safek, we lean the Kula, and that's like the sheet of Shmuel, that whenever we have a Safek, we lean the Kula. Right next is Asulo Aron Hafrulo Kever. Amai! Why is that okay? You should have to wait the amount of time it takes to dig a grave or make a coffin after Shabbat. It's standing in an isratio. Isratio seems to me like a large thoroughfare along the main drag. And that seems to be the area where they buried non-Jews in general. It would not be assumed to be a Jewish grave. So if they dug it there, they clearly did not dig it for Jews. So if they dug it for non-Jews, then you don't have to wait, because they clearly didn't dig it for this person in particular. Umar says, Tinach Kever. That works well for a Kever, because a Kever is in a fixed location. Aron, Ma'ikah the Maymar. The coffin, how do you prove that it's a non-Jewish coffin versus a Jewish coffin? So Gemara says, They brought the coffin next to the kever and they left it there. So I mean, it's indicative of the fact that they were making the coffin for this burial in this kever. So when you have evidence of the fact that it is definitely done for a non-Jew, then you don't have to wait because they should because they clearly didn't do it for a Jew. They did it on their own volition. They did it for a non-Jew. Now you want to use it? Fine. They don't have to wait Kadesh Yasu. This is again why the Rishonim believe that this is not a proof to Shmuel, because it's really not a case of Safek anymore. It's obvious that they did it for non-Jews. It's not a question of, oh, we don't know who they did it for, so we'll assume they did it for the non-Jews. No, they did it for the non-Jews. We know for sure they did it for non-Jews. Therefore, you can use it after Shabbat without waiting at all, without waiting Kadesh Yasu. This has major halakhic ramifications, especially when you live in Israel. For instance, it happens so many times that if you go somewhere and after Shabbat, you want to come home. It happens a lot with the youth. They take them on a trip up north or they take them somewhere else. And then they want to come back on, let's say, Shabbat. And sure enough, all the buses are sitting there right after Shabbat. They make Abdullah and all the buses are sitting outside. Well, the problem is that the drivers are Jewish and the drivers clearly drove on Shabbat to be there after Shabbat. And you're now benefiting from Malacha that happened on Shabbat because you're able to leave immediately because of what these drivers did. So in most cases, you're going to have to wait. because You have to wait the amount of time it would take them to get there after Shabbat because you cannot benefit from the malacha that's done on Shabbat, particularly to be there. There are ways to get around this. If there are buses that are local and the bus company chooses to make a decision to make them from afar, that's usually not the case. Usually the case is that buses are from the local area where you left, where the schools are, where they started from, and drive up there on Shabbat to be afterwards. Then you have to wait. They so you have to know that in general, in Israel, whenever you go somewhere, if there are things that are prepared, they're clearly preparing them for Jews. And if they're prepared on Shabbat, you have to wait for Kadeshi Asu afterwards so they don't benefit from Malachat Shabbat. You would have the same problem if they did it particularly for a Jew. Most of the savior in Chutzlaretz is that it's done like here in these cases where it's done for Jews and non-Jews. As soon as it's also done for non-Jews, then you know it's not done particularly for Jews. But in the cases like you're mentioning, if they did drive on Shabbat in particular to be there for for Jews, then you would have that problem of Kadesh Yasu as well. All right, next Mishnah. Osim kol you can do anything for the mate on Shabbat. Sachin, you let to put oil on them. Umedichinoto, you can rinse them off. Uvajali is these believer, you're not allowed to move. The mate himself is muksa. So you can't move the mate, but you can engage with the mate. You can wash it off, you can put oil on it. Shomtimet akarmi tahtav, you can pull out the mattress from underneath him. Omutilinotoala kho or put him onto the sand. Bishvil, 
Shiyamtin, in order that he should wait there. And with Shiyamtin means that the problem is that the body was heating up, it's going to decompose, it's going to become spoiled on Shabbat, and so you want to reduce the heat that is being applied to the body. So you can flip him off the mattress in order to reduce the amount of heat, to move it to another location, or get him onto the sand, whatever it is that you're trying to do. You can't move the body, but through Derek Akov, you can pull out the mattress or do something that will allow the body to cool off. Koshrimet Alechi, you're allowed to tie the jaw. Loshi not to close the jaw, but in order to stop the jaw from continuing to open. The other person away if their mouth is open and it continues to open up, you want to stop that from happening. So what you can do is you can tie a ribbon around the head of the mate in order to fix whatever the situation is or the status of the body is at this time, you can maintain the status quo. So you're not allowed to tie it tight so it pulls the mouth back to close it, but you can prevent the mouth from continuing to open. Remember, the mate goes through different stages, which is that right after their niftar, then the body, right after the niftar, is still warm and still in the state it was before it was niftar. A little bit after that, rigor mortis starts to set in, which is that all the muscles become very tight, and then it becomes extremely difficult to move the limbs and to change the positions of the body. So if the jaw continues to open and rigor mortis sets in, then if it's open, you're not going to be able to close it later on. It's very, very hard. You have to apply a tremendous amount of force in order to close it. After a longer period of time, then the rigor mortis falls away again and the body loosens up. But the burial usually takes place in the time period when the rigor mortis is set in. What they're trying to prevent here is the jaw from continuing to open because you're not going to be able to close it. If it continues to open, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. What they want to do is they tie the ribbon around to prevent it from continuing to open but again, you can't do anything to close it. We have this quoted earlier in the Masechta, Korah Shinishbira. You have a beam in the house that broke. You can use things that are not muksa, sofa, bench, or arukota mita, the bed posts or the bed rails. You can put them underneath. The beam broke and it's falling down. You can prop something else under it in order to stop it from continuing to fall. You can't put something up there to push it back up. You can't move it back up or into place because that problem of bone net. What you can do is prevent the continuation of the damage or the problem. So you can prop something underneath it to stop it from going down. It's a similar idea, which is that you can maintain the status quo. You can do what you need to do in order to maintain the status quo. You can't change the status quo, which means you can't return it to its previous state, but you can prevent it from continuing to open or falling down by maintaining the status quo. Case where a Talmud of Rabbi Meir went after him into the Beit HaMechatz. He wanted to wash the floor. Says you know how to wash the floor. La sukarka, you wanted to anoint the floor. You can't anoint the floor. Umar says, I don't understand. Why can we do sachin and midichin the mate? You just said here, you're allowed to rinse the mate off, you're allowed to be sach the mate. How over here he's saying we don't do this on Shabbat. So Umar says, Karka bikarka a floor gets mixed up with the floor. A bathhouse, or the floors of the bathhouse, I'm sure people have visited them here in Israel, you can see them in many of the excavations. That you go to, they had stone floors. They have a stone floor. What's the fear of washing a floor on Shabbat? Shabbat, or even sweeping a floor of Shabbat, is a shvuye gumot, flattening out the holes, or filling in the holes that are there. That's a problem of a bone on Shabbat. When you have a stone floor, you don't have that problem anymore. Like in our houses today, you can sweep the floors because stone floors, you don't have a problem with a shvuye gumot that doesn't exist. But Gemara talks about here, even though this is a stone floor, not everything is a stone floor. So we're going to get mixed up. If we let you do it on the stone floors, then we're going to go do it on the dirt floors. And so we don't allow you to do it. It's, it's not permitted, not because it's not permitted. It was fine. Washing the floor there in the bathhouse would have been fine. Sacking the bathhouse floor would have been fine. Because it's a stone floor. Why doesn't he allow it? Because if we allow it there, you're going to do it when, even when it's a dirt floor. And so we say, don't do that. On the other case, our case, mate bekarka lo michlaf. Here, when you wash or rinse the mate down, or you anoint the mate, 
Nobody's going to mix that up and say, oh, since I did that to the mate, now I can go wash my floor. Now I can go take care of my dirt floor. That's not the case. So that's the difference. We allow in instances where there's no confusion or you can't come to Lashvuya Gumot. In a case where the confusion can arise, then we do not allow it. Today, how come we're allowed to sweep your floor? Even though we have stone floors, maybe we should worry about dirt floors. The answer is, the Mishonim discussed it back when the Sugya was discussed during the Masechta, is that in cities where everybody has a stone floor, there's no question anymore. We don't live with the dirt floors. Everybody lives with the stone floor. So there's no question that if you sweep in your floor here, you're going to go sweep the dirt floors. There is no dirt floor to sweep anyway. Everything is made with the same stone floors, and therefore there's no confusion anymore. And that's why today... We don't worry about Ishrui Gumot with sweeping the floors in the house. Alright, the Mishnah says that any need of the mate, you're allowed to take care of. The Mishnah itself tells you what you're allowed to do. It says, And it tells you, So what else is left that you can do for the mate that isn't mentioned in the Mishnah? So the Mishnah you're allowed to bring cooling instruments. Exactly what you said, Fred. You're allowed to bring a cooling instrument or metallic clayline, which are cold, meaning that the metal retains its coolness if it's kept in the shade. And you place it onto the belly of the mate. That it should not expand. It should not rupture. Fear again, they had these issues, which is that they didn't have refrigeration. And the body, if it's left in the heat, will swell. And if there's things or stuff in the stomach or the bowels of this individual, it could cause a rupture of the stomach, which was obviously awful if you have to bury the mate and obviously everything else associated with it is a terrible thing. We're allowed to do this in order to prevent that incident from happening. You can put cool items to try to cool the stomach off. You can plug any orifice in order to prevent the air from going in. Now, I don't know if this had any benefit, but they believe that that had benefit. If you plug the orifices, didn't allow the external air to get in, that would prevent some sort of decomposition or swelling of the body. Ba'af Shlomo Amar Bechachmato. And Shlomo said in his Kuchman Kuelet, Adashir lo yiratek chevel lakesef, until the silver string snaps, or before the silver string snaps, zechuta shidra, that's talking about the spinal column, vitarutz gulat hazav, and the golden bowl breaks, zeama, that is the aver, as Rashi it's the area of reproductivity, just like the gulot, even though here it means to refer to like a bowl, but you have this term gulot mayim, which are pools of water. And the pitcher breaks on the fountain. That's the stomach. And galgal is the turning mechanism that you use to lower the bucket into the bore and to take the water in and out of the bore. So until that goes away, zeperish, that is the waste, waste that's inside the intestines of the individual. Chenumer, it also says, I will throw back the waste on your face. The Perish Chagechem, the disgusting way that you conduct your Chagim. Hashem is rejecting their celebration of the Chagim because of all the bad things that they're doing. Ben Adam that they don't act appropriately. He says, I don't need your Chagim. I don't need what you're doing because I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in people who don't act appropriately coming up and celebrating with me. Doing Ben Adam the Makom when they don't do Ben Adam the Chavero. I'm Ravuna, Varmila, I'm Rav Chaga. Elu, Bnei Adam, Shemenichim, Divrei Torah, Vosim, Koyimehem, Kichagim. These are people who don't learn Torah, make all their life like a chag. Rashi says that they pleasure themselves. They do all these pleasures and they forget. They leave the ways of the Torah. So that's what it means. Perish chagechem. 
After three days, the bowels or the stomach ruptures and goes flying onto the face and says, take what you put into me. And that the person who ate and the stuff's internally, then if the body's left around, the body ruptures and throws all that stuff back. Again, they were dealing with this a lot. Baruch Hashem, today we don't deal with this as much because of refrigeration. Because of refrigeration, you don't have this issue. It's not as difficult an issue to deal with. Whereas in their day, it was a serious issue because of the heat. I mean, especially talking about hot climates and dealing with the heat, that the bodies, if they were kept around for too long, became problematic. And you have situations where you couldn't bury right away. That's why they had to deal with Yom Tov, Shabbat, all these issues that were very serious. If you leave a body around long enough, that's what he's saying, that the stomach will rupture. And again, the quote from Goelit is, prior to all these happening, he's talking about the shutdown of the body. Things that go down, whether it's the, the spinal column, and then the reproduction of the individual. These are things that are shutting down as the individual passes away. First of all, you put it in before Shabbat. See, I mean, if a person passed away right before Shabbat, then you can't bury them, and they can put them into their future. Right, so if the maid passes away on Shabbat, we said before, you can be a Malakar or a Keset, meaning that you can move them indirectly. The Gemara has dispensations. You put a Tinoch, you put a Chala on top of them, and then you can move the maid out of the house. You can move them in certain things. There are dispensations to move the maid on Shabbat. Just that you can't physically pick up the maid to move it on Shabbat. Ein ma'atzmin et ha'meit b'Shabbat. Not allowed to close the eyes of the maid on Shabbat. Now, you can't close the eyes of the maid on Shabbat because you know, they'll move any of the Eivarim on Shabbat. We just saw that in previous Mishnah. The mission is not after that, but it's after the next image. You can't do that on a weekday as the person sold the parts. Someone who closes the eyes of a mate in their last moments of life, then it's as if they killed them. Because you are moving an aver, you're causing them to expend energy, and this person has limited energy left. And by doing that, you're basically taking away the last of their life force by closing their eyes. The answer is, don't close the eyes until after the person is completely niftar. And once they're completely niftar, of course, on a weekday you can do it. On a Shabbat, you can't do it because you can't be Macy's ever. Person who closes the eyes of a mate as they are passing away, it's as if they killed them. Like a candle or a lamp that is burning out. It's diminishing, it's extinguishing itself, naturally. You stick a little finger on it, and it's out in a second. You have a full-fledged flame, you stick your finger on it, it doesn't do anything. But you have a flame that's already on its way out, it's extinguishing, you put your finger on it, it's out in a second. So that's the same idea here. That if, if a person is on their last legs, and then you go ahead and do something, or push something, then it causes the acceleration of the death process. And that's why you call this Shabbat Damin. Tanya, So this is, this is very interesting. This might be the origination of acupuncture. That over here he says you want to close the eyes of the mate. And you can't, you know, physically it's not so simple to close the eyes of the mate. Afterwards, again, we talk about these issues of Riga Morgadis, all these things trying to get the eye closed. You have some wine into his nose, into his nostrils. And then you put oil on the eyelids, on the eyelashes eyelids. And then you grab the two big toes and you squeeze them. And they close by themselves. For every reason, by squeezing the big toes, after you set it up or grease the wheels, you squeeze the big toes, the eyes will close. This is Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel's suggestion about how to have it work or happen. Again, this kind of concept of acupuncture. 
a reflexology that their every location of the foot affect different organs in the body. Tanya, Reb Shimon Leomer, Tinok Ben Yomochai, Michalolina Levita Shabbat. You have a baby one day old, Michalol Shabbat for them. David Melchisrael mate, a Michalolina Levita Shabbat. David Melchisrael, the most important figure in Galal Israel, if he's dead, you can't be Michalol Shabbat for him. Tinok Ben Yomochai, Michalolina Levita Shabbat. Why are we Michalol Shabbat for a day old baby? Amra Torah. You should violate one Shabbat on his behalf in order that he should be able to keep many Shabbatot. Gemara here is interesting because the Gemara here you can see is a cross-reference to the Gemara in Yoma. Gemara in Yoma wants to know how do we know that you're Mechavel Shabbat to save someone's life on Shabbat? How do we know that that's the case? The Gemara in Yoma has a Machloket and has a series of Limudim. A Machloket between the Tanaim and even Amoraim as to what is the source for the fact that you're allowed to be Mechavel Shabbat. This happens to be one of the reasons that's brought over there, which is, it's a calculation. It's a calculation that says, if this person is going to keep many Shabbatot in his life, then it clearly, the payoff, if I look at it in a more holistic sense, is if I violate this Shabbat for this individual, then the outcome or the result will be that they'll keep many Shabbatot. So it's worth it to violate one Shabbat in order to benefit many other Shabbatot. That's the thesis behind it. And that's only true when you're talking about somebody alive. David Melech Why violate Shabbat for the benefit of David Melech Yisrael when he's dead? He's not going to keep any more Shabbatot. So the violation of the Shabbat here has no benefit in Shabbat itself. That's what Rabbi Yochanan says when he dies in the Pasuk, when Meitim Chofshi, those that pass away are free. Person passes away, he's free of the mitzvot, meaning that there are no more mitzvot to perform once you're passed away. Uh, I'm saying someone who has no, well, no accomplishments, somebody has nothing to speak of, we don't know anything. Compared to Dov Melchizral, who is, right, this great individual, we don't know anything about them, it's all potential, there's nothing in reality. I think that's the, the comparison. Here's someone who's accomplished, someone we don't know what's going to be with them. Tanya, Rabbi Shimon Lazomer, Tinok ben Yomochai, ain't tzarich l'shomro min min If a child that's one day old, that's alive, you don't have to protect them from the weasels and the mice, they're scared of him naturally. Og Melech HaBashan mate, Tzarech L'Shomro, Minach Chudam, Minach Barim. Og Melech HaBashan, this great Gibor, this giant, he passed away. You can't leave him around. The weasels and the mice will get to him. They're not afraid of him anymore. Shneemar, Umarachem, Vechitchem, Yeh. This is from Noah, after he leaves the Teva, that he's promised that his fear and his authority will be over the animals. That the animals will fear him, and he's granted the right to eat the animals after he leaves the Teva. So here it says, Morachem v'chitchem, Gemara is playing on the word chitchem, which is chiyutchem. That when you're alive, your fear will be on the animals. When you're not alive, you won't have that fear, the animals will not fear you. As long as he's alive, the animals are afraid of him. Once he passes away, then he no longer has that authority or that fear over the animals, and they're not afraid of him anymore. We have a Mesora that a lion will never attack two people. Two people are walking together, you're safe from the lions. I says, wait a minute. We have good evidence of the fact that lions attack even two people. It's an amazing statement. That's the principle. The principle is that animals will not have any rulership over man because of the principle. Now, how do they get that it's two people that the lion won't attack? Because morachem is in plural. So as long as you have two people there, your field will be over the animals, and no animal will attack you. Even the most ferocious of animals, including the lion, will not attack two people, because we have a promise that the fear of man will be on the animals. So then why do they get attacked? Because, that he will not attack somebody that looks like a human to him. But if he looks like an animal, then he will attack it.
What's the difference between an animal and a human? Shnemar, Adam Bikar Bayalin, Nimshol, Kibehemot, Nidmu, Dalmatech, for an Elvel. So when they do have Tachnon, Dalmatech, they say, Adam Bakalin, Bayalin, Nimshol, Kibehemot, Nidmu, it becomes like an animal. If the animals view the individual like an animal, or like a fellow animal, then he's not going to be fearful of him anymore. So when does that happen? When is it Behemot, Nidmu? When a person doesn't act appropriately. When a person sins. When a person does things that are inappropriate. Then he loses his nature of being a human. And he turns into a beima. Once he turns into beima, so that can happen two ways. One is that he passes away. Person passes away, then he's no different than a behema anymore because you have a body that is like the animal's body. Then the shema, whatever it was that differentiated the human being, is gone. So that's also animals are not fearful. But also, even a person alive can be quote unquote dead, meaning that they look like a behema because they're not utilizing the neshama, not utilizing their body in a proper way. So that's why the lions attack these individuals because they're not acting like humans; they're acting like behemot. No one is not allowed to sleep alone in a house. Anybody who sleeps alone in a house will be grabbed by the Lilit. Lilit is a type of shade, some sort of demon. Shows up in different manifestations in the Midrashim. I think playing on what we said before, is that your feet will be over everything, including the Shedim, if you are more than one. Morachem, if you have numerous feet, if you're alone, then you're at risk because that mora won't be around. Tanya, Rabbi Shimon Al-Azhar You should do while you still have the ability to do. And then it'll be left over for you. It'll be in hand. You'll have what to live with after you can't do anymore. That's what Shlomo says. Remember your creator when you're young in your youth. And before those bad days come, what are the yamehara? That's when you grow old. So remember your creator when you're young and do when you're active. Then you can do, do when you're young before those days come when you reach this mezkena when you can no longer do. Shanim. Again, this is a Pasuk. This is Kohelet Yud Bet. Perk Yud Bet. Pasuk Aleph. And the Gemara is interjecting Drashot in the Pasuk. So we're back to the Pasuk now, which is, Begiu Shanim, Esher Tumar, Enli, Bahem Chefetz. And the years will come where I say, I have no longer any interest in them. Elo Yimei HaMishiach. Sheimem lo zchut v'lo chobah. What are those days that I no longer have any interest in? That's Yimei HaMishiach. Because when you get to Yimei HaMishiach, there's no zchut and chobah, meaning that there's no benefit to the mitzvot anymore. Everybody's doing the right thing. There's no accumulation of zchuyot because you don't have a Yetzirah to do the wrong anymore. So Rashi notes, because Latid Lavau and Yimot HaMashiach according to this opinion, there won't be any poor. If there are no poor, you won't have the ability to do tzedakah to get this zechut. So you may do it when you're young, before the years come, before the time comes, where it's not going to be valuable. Upligi de Shmuel, this argues in Shmuel, again, the Gemara always raises this whenever it talks about Yimot HaMashiach. Whenever there's a memra that says Yimot HaMashiach is going to be different than it is today, they bring up Shmuel who says it's not. There's no difference between the time of Mashiach and the time now. We will be able to rule over ourselves and we will not be subjected to the other nations. Shinemar, Yilo Yechdal, Evion, Mikarevaretz. The Torah says that the impoverished will never leave the land. Well, if the impoverished will never leave the land, that means there's going to be poverty, even be Mota Mashiach. Because there's no difference between now and then, except that we will not be subjected to the rule of the other nations. Tanya, person should always daven over poverty. Because if you yourself are not poor, it could infect your children. If it doesn't infect your children, 
Ben Benoba, it'll affect your grandchildren. Shinemar, ki biglala davar hazeh. Because of this issue, again, it's found in the psukim there in Varim, because of this thing, meaning taking care of those that are impoverished or in poverty, Hashem will give you the bracha. So what does biglau mean? So the Gemara says, Tani Tabir Bishmao, gal gal It's like a wheel that goes around. Poverty takes its turns, going through different families or different individuals, so nobody will ever be spared from poverty. It just moves. Again, if it's not in your lifetime or your children's life or grandchildren's lifetime, it eventually will come. So even though you personally are in a good position, don't assume that that will always be true for all your descendants. Even if you don't need to daven for yourself, daven for the future generation. We have a Mesora that a young Talmud Chacham will never be poor or impoverished. We have evidence to the contrary. So he says, So yes, they can be impoverished, but they're not so impoverished that they go door to door to collect bread or to get food. He says, there's a glow, they'll be poor, but they won't reach that point of poverty that they'll have to go from door to door. Amrallah Rabbi Yechiel, the Bitu, this is a beautiful thing, Rabbi Yechiel says to his wife, Yate Anya, when any poor people come to the door, Akdimele Rifta, run and give them bread, so that, that they should return the favor when poverty reaches your family many years later. I mean, you're not poor, you don't have an issue, but if in your future generations, your descendants of somebody is poor, you want the people who they have to go and ask for, you want them to react and to act in an expeditious way and to be kind to them, so you be kind now, so that favor will be returned later on. What are you, cursing me? You're saying I, I should do this because our descendants are going to be poor? Why are you cursing us? Why are you opening up your mouth to the Satan? He says, what can I do? There's a pasuk. It's not something that you can prevent. It's something that naturally happens. It's a cyclical item poverty. And eventually it's going to come into our descendants. So I don't know when that will be. But at least act now so that we can have that schut for our descendants later on. Tanya, Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Omer, Benetan lecha rachamim, richamcho, virbecho, kolem rachim ala briot, mirachmin alav mina shamaim. Anybody who has mercy on others, Hashem has mercy on them. Chosh ein mirachim ala briot, ein mirachmin alav mina shamaim. Person has mercy on others, then they are not mirachim on him mina shamaim. Very interesting, conceptually interesting, way that Hashem can give brocha to the individual is the way the individual acts. Hashem always gives midah, connected midah. So if you want Hashem to act with mercy and generosity towards you, then you need to act with that midah. If you act with kindness and generosity and mercy towards others, then midah, connected midah, Hashem can pour that goodness into you because that's the way you act. So for whatever you do, Hashem can reward you. So the same thing, if you act in that manner, brought down Allah, the Gemara discusses it in Yoma, that if you forgive others, then Hashem can also forgive you. If a person is not makpid on their kavod, and when people wrong them, that they don't hold grudges, then again, when you do something wrong, then a Kajibach would also go and act in that way. That's what the says. That is a person, whoever is mavir al-midotav, is not makpid on his kavod, on, on standing on ceremony, then Hashem also acts in a similar fashion towards that individual. Now what's interesting here is in Sichut Mosar, Rokhaim Shalom says, this pasuk is brought for the people who go ahead and kill out an irani dachat. People who kill out an irani dachat, they're asked to do an, an act, which is an act of achzariyut, something where they have to kill an entire city. The city here went and worshipped the Bodhisattva. The entire city has to be put to death. Everything has to be burnt to the ground. It's a terrible act. The people have to carry it out are asked to do something horrible. So the Torah promises afterwards, even though you've done an act of Akzariyot, Hashem says that that won't change. The fact that you've done this, I will still grant you Rachamim. 
Sichut Musar says, how is the Pasuk written? It says, that I will give you Rachamim, and then I will be able to Rachim on you. Hashem doesn't just promise them Rachamim, even though they have to act out of Akhzariyut. And Hashem asks them to do this, He doesn't say, okay, I'll, I'll still be merciful towards you. That's not what Hashem says. Hashem promises them that even though they have to act here, they have to act here in a manner that is not the normal way that they would conduct themselves in killing out an entire city and burning it to the ground, Nevertheless, what does Hashem say? I will give you Rachamim. Why does Hashem have to give them Rachamim? Because then, if you have Rachamim, then I can bless you with Rachamim. So Hashem promises them that He will give them the Midah of Rachamim, even though they've acted Be'achzariyut. And granting them the Midah of the Rachamim, then Hashem says, I can have Bim Rachim on you. This promise is made for those people who are killing out the Irani Dachat. Now the Gemara goes back to the Pasuk. This is actually Pasuk Bet. Now in Kohelet Bet. You should do all of this in your youth before the lights go out. Before it gets dark from the light and the sun. That is the forehead of the individual. And the nose of the individual. Rashi says the forehead because that's the shiniest place. So that's similar to the Shemesh. And the Chotem is the Toar Panav, like Ur. The defining part or feature of a person's face is their nose. Meaning that if you take away or change the nose of an individual, they're not necessarily recognizable anymore. So if you have to identify an individual, if their nose is missing, it's much harder to identify them. And the moon. Zu Nishama. The moon is like the Nishama. Because, so that the candle is like the neshama of an individual, like the moon that shines in the darkness, like a candle that is in the darkness, so to the neshama in the darkness. Avim, the stars, elolistot, these are the cheeks. Vishavo avim acharagoshem, and then the cloud cover comes after the rain. That this is the eyesight of the individual which deteriorates after they weep. For the first 40 years of a person's life, if they cry, it doesn't affect their eyesight. But after 40 years, crying diminishes the eyesight of the individual. Up to the age of 40, this kuchla, which is some sort of eye ointment, eye coloring that they used to put in the eyes, until 40 years, marvach. It actually improves one eyesight. Even if you fill up your eye with the amount of a weaver's beam, which is huge, it will maintain the status quo. It will not improve one's eyesight. So after 40, you can only maintain things. Putting the eye ointment in will only maintain the status quo. It will not improve it anymore. So what is that teaching us? The more eye ointment you put in, the better it works. Volume is good. Quantity is good. When you put more in, it has more beneficial effect. Chanina had a daughter who passed away. He was not crying over that. He did not weep over his daughter's death. What is this? Some chicken left your house? How can you not be crying? It's not like one of your possessions passed away. Something died. This is your daughter who passed away. How are you not crying? I should lose two things in one day? Tichla v'ivra? Tichla is shikul. Shikul means to be left without children. Have children dying in one's lifetime is called shikul. So he says, I should also be shikul, I should lose a child, ivra, and I should go blind. And this is premised on the basis of a lakiyad, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Mishim Rebusi Ben Katsarta. 
So this is like what he had heard from Yerbe Yochanan, similar to the Gemara that we just saw before. Sheish Dma'otein, there are six types of tears. Shalosh Yafot, Vishlosh Ra'ot, three types of tears are good for you. Three types of tears are not good for you. Shalashan, Vishobechi, Vishobeta Kisei. The tears that swell because of smoke, because of weeping, Rashi says, Shobechi Shal Evel Vitzara. For mourning and pain and anguish. From the Isurim of Beit Kisei, I don't know if that person has a stomach ailment or from being constipated and having the tears swell from that. Ra'ot, those are all bad. Shosam, Vishoschok, Vishoperot, Yafot. That comes from some sort of potion or medicinal reason. Schok from laughter and Shoperot Yafot, which comes from pungent or sharp types of fruits. Rashi says Chardal mustard. But you can have hot peppers, some good grains, or things like that that cause you to tear up. <laughs> Onions, right? All of those things. Those, that's good types of tears. The Hanino didn't want to cry over his daughter because he lost his daughter. Obviously, he was upset. Obviously, he was devastated over this. But he felt that if he cried, not only would he have lost his daughter, he's going to lose his eyesight as well. So crying was going to be detrimental to his continuing health. And therefore, he didn't feel it was right to cry, even though emotionally he felt that he wanted to cry. Now the Gemara continues here with Kohelet, the third pasuk in this uh, beginning of Yudbet, which is, Biyom shiazu'u shomrei abayit, on the day that the guards of the house tremble, v'itavtu, the truth is, v'itavtu means to bow, but it's going to the next part of the pasuk, so we'll do that in a second. Biyom shiazu'u shomrei abayit, on the day that the guardians of the house tremble, those are the flanks and the ribs, the guardians of the house that hold the structure and protect everything inside. And the military men bend, they're going to give way. Those are the thighs. As Rashi said, they are the thing that keeps a person strong and that he rests on. That's what gives the person the ability to walk and to move around and supports the body. So that's like the Anshei Chayel, the strong men. The ones that go out, they're the ones that hold you up. So you have two, is over here that they're going to bow, they're going to bend, they're going to give way. Right? And this is a continuation of the Pasuk. And the grinders have gone silent, have been nullified. Those are the teeth. And darkened have been those that see or that, that have vision inside of the arubot, inside of the sockets. Those are the eyes. We'll stop here. The Gemara is going to continue a little bit along these lines. But basically, they're talking about the first three psukim in the uh, three psukim in Kolet Yubet, which is Shlomo's suggestion that a person take advantage when they are capable of doing mitzvot before the onset of old age and death. I mean, as things begin to shut down, a person is less and less capable to do mitzvot. So take advantage when a person is fully functional to do everything that you can so that you have built up schuyot that will stand in your stead while you get older and all these things, the aggression of getting older and passing away happens, that you'll still have all these kriyot when you can't do anymore, when you're unable to function as you do today. We'll stop here.